Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesueur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. To everybody on the on on the online campus, you just missed the last week. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, how's that working? It doesn't sound better. Is it? It's coming through there though. Our sweet. Okay, now it's coming through here too. Uh, and so you know, we've just been go 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 go, and 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 a lot of great stuff is happening. We're getting to share the gospel with so many people, and, and we got we got a ton of kids coming in, and the, you know, and, and and we've got our church, you know, just kind of spread out all over the place, and there's a ton of people who are involved in Giant Days, which is really exciting. A ton of people who were at Giant Days, uh, you know, last night, and um, and I've, I've I've received a lot of questions about, hey, so how's the root beer floats going? And I said, slow. So if anybody wants to buy root beer floats, please, you know, bop on over, you know, later on, later on today. No, and, 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 and I will confess that I've, that I've been complaining about the weather a little bit. I, and, I'm, and I try to catch myself because the weather is one of those things, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I have no control over it. Not one little bit of control do I have over, over, over the weather, and yet still I find myself complaining about it. I complain. Do you complain? Yes? Okay. So, um, I, in the last service over in New Prague, I asked you know, them who you complain about, and, and it was, was kind of like, oh man, nope, I'm going to put my hand, so one guy did raise his hand, and then he's like, no, no, that's not, that's not wise, I'm not going to, so, but it, it worked out a whole lot better when I asked, you know, like, what do you complain about? So be honest, what do you complain about? Yeah. Complain about your job, what else? Things I can't control. Absolutely. What do you control? What do you complain about? You can do it. I complain about him. I complain about her. I mean, uh, I'm sure no one in this room, just other people, complain of complain about their kids, complain about their parents, complain about their school, complain about their you know their work, complain about this, complain about that. There's so many things to complain about. And we do. We complain. Unfortunately, all too often, like, even though God's people have been complaining for a very long time, it's not really against each other or the, you know, or, or the things that we can't comp- control that we're really complaining about. We're complaining and grumbling against God. 
All too often, we're com- God's people, even though they have been saved from so much, we still end up complaining and grumbling against God because God somehow isn't giving us what we want when we want it. And, and that is a huge challenge for us. I, I, you know, the complaining, I know that complaining doesn't happen like in your house as much as it maybe happens in my house. Um, it, you know, when my kids were younger, uh, one of the number one complaints was the amount of ice cream in a bowl. Not that there was no ice cream because everybody got ice cream, but I seem to always get more ice cream. And that became a, a point of, of, of grumbling. We went out to, we'd go, we'd go out every once in a while, we'd go out to a Cold Stone and, 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 I, you know, and I let all the kids order whatever they want, even if Doug was ordering cotton candy ice cream with Oreos mixed in and gummy bears on top. That's, yeah, maybe you're cut out of the same cloth, but that sounds awful to me. But I let him order whatever he wants, and I'm like, okay, you get it. And they, they all got, you know, the small size, the like-it size. They like-it size, the like-it size. You know, my, you know, Heidi orders, she gets a like-it size. And then I order, my, I order the, you know, the, almost the exact same thing almost every single time because I love coffee. And so I ordered the Mud Pie Mojo in Gotta Have It size. That sucker, it was like this big, it was like this tall, and, and, and inevitably, Doug would exclaim, that's not fair! I want to gotta have it size. Look at, look at the size of your ice cream. Look at the size of my ice cream. And the complaining would ensue. How much ice cream was in our bowls? But the complaining in my family reached a fevered pitch. It reached the pinnacle of complaining in our household when I bought Brianna a cell phone. I, I love you parents, so I'm going to try my hardest to avoid stating the age, okay? Every household has their own cell phone policy rule. Your parents are that rule, Okay? And I get it. Every household's got a different rule. In my, in my family, our rule was, was actually fairly simple. I buy the cell phones. The cell phones belong to me. You get a cell phone when I need you to have one. I understand that sounds incredibly self-centered. And it is, because I'm a selfish little sinner. That's the truth. And so my cell phone policy was 100% about me and my ability to, you know, like pick up my kids and this, that, and the other thing. Cat and Doug were athletes. And so, that, man, they were, you know, like they were all over the place at practices and games and things like that. And I, you know, and so they got cell phones when I needed them to have cell phones so that we could pick them up and all that sort of stuff. And yet then this thing happened when, when, when we were in Iowa and we bought an ice cream shop because we love ice cream. The complaints over our amount of ice cream in the dishes completely went away because we owned an ice cream shop. It was great. All the ice cream you could want. That's a lot of ice cream. 
But part of owning, an, owning our own business and everything else meant that the schedules got pretty crazy sometimes. And, and so one day during the summer, Heidi's doing an awesome job managing the, you know, the, the ice cream shop, and I'm working, and I have no idea where the rest of the kids are scattered around doing the thing, and, and Bree is, um, is our youngest, and she at this time was not yet in middle school, okay? And she was hanging out with some friends, got dropped off at the house, and, you know, and, and my, the friend's parents just, you know, drove away. This is Iowa, small town Iowa. This is the way things go. And, uh, and she gets up to the front door, and it's locked. Bree's got things under control. She doesn't panic yet. She goes around the back, back of the house, tries the next door, locked. Tries the next door, locked. Tries the sliding glass door, locked. That's when the tears started to fall. As my little girl, yes, she's my youngest, starts to cry and panic a little bit about trying to figure out where do I go from here and how do I get inside the house and I don't know what it is and she doesn't have a phone and, and, you know, and everything's, you know, and it's getting dark and she figures out a way to walk all the way to the ice cream shop, to cross over the busy road, make her way through the neighborhood, walking all by herself, gets to the ice cream shop, tears are falling, and I did the only thing that I could imagine doing to prevent this from ever happening again. The very next day, I went to the store, I bought a tiny little, you know, cheap, slidey cell phone and gave it to Bree, and I said, Okay, if you ever get left or you're locked out, you've got a way to contact us, you know, nothing fancy. And that is when the complaining reached a fever pitch. What? That's not fair. Look, she's too young to have a cell phone. I wasn't that young to have a cell phone, and now she gets a false cell phone? Well, a matter of fact, if she's going to get a new cell phone, then I should get a new cell phone. I'm like, you have a cell phone. She's like, no, it doesn't matter. And so, like, even the people who in my family who had cell phones now needed, wanted new cell phones because the cell phone that they had, you know, you know, oh, the complaining. And just in case that sounds completely unrealistic, and you say, no one in my household ever complains about not having a cell phone. It happens at my house. You see, God's people have been complaining for a really long time. We complain because we don't get what we want when we want it. And some of those times, the complaining isn't just against the people that we love, but ultimately, we're grumbling and complaining against God and what He's provided, that it's just not good enough. If you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, you can turn with me to Exodus. Just kind of put your finger in there because as we talk about complaining, I, I cannot help but think about God's people stuck in slavery in Egypt. That's the truth. It's like God's people were stuck in slavery in, in Egypt and, and, and it was awful. 
The Egyptian government was, was forcing um, God's people, the Israelites, to, uh, to do forced labor. They were, they, were, they were building buildings, building roads, and, they were, uh, and conditions got so bad that they actually were required to, to build, make their own bricks, to build things that they were being forced to build. And the slave drivers became increasingly aggressive. It got so bad that as God was blessing his people and they were multiplying, it got so bad that the Egyptian government started murdering God's little children. Yes, Israelite babies were being killed. That is awful. And it's in the midst of that slavery. It's in the midst of that oppression. It's in the midst of, you know, children being murdered, that God's people cry out to the Lord for, for savory. They would just say, please save us, rescue us. And they cried out to God, and God heard that cries. And when God heard their cries, he sent them a hero, an unlikely hero. You see, Moses was on the run. He was hiding from the Egyptian government as well due to an unfortunate incident when he killed someone. And, you know, and things can get a little, you know, aggressive when you kill someone. And so he's hiding in another land, and, and, and that's when God calls him to come and to help. And so Moses gets to Egypt, and, and he comes up to Pharaoh, and he says, God has told me to tell you, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. Well, if you don't let my people go, then God is going to turn the, the river Nile into blood. Yeah, blood. Cool. And Pharaoh said, no. And so God turned the river into, into blood. And then he said, oh, no, 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 let's talk about it, let's talk about it. And, and so Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And he said, you know, no, 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 no. After the river had been changed back into water, he's like, no, I changed my mind. No, nobody could go. No? And so then it was frogs. Frogs start coming out of the Nile River and they're filling people's houses and in the streets and all sorts of stuff. I mean, can we, you know, imagine how gross it would be just like stepping on frogs everywhere. It sounds absolutely disgusting. And, yet, and so then, and then, then, you know, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then gnats and flies. And then livestock, livestock dies. Plague after plague after plague. But wait, they're not done because they go, to, go back to Pharaoh every single time and say, let my people go. And he says, no. And that's when the people start to get boils on their skin. And that's itchy and gross. And you'd think that Pharaoh would relent. But he still said no. And after the boils was locusts. And after the locusts was darkness for three days. But then the worst is yet to come. 
Because God said one more time, let my people go. And Pharaoh said no. And that's when the Passover happened. Moses told all of God's people and everyone who would believe to get ready because God was setting them free. Get ready. Put your traveling clothes on. Pack the house up. Put your staff in your hand and sacrifice that sacrificial lamb. Place the blood on the doorposts and on the lentil and eat that meal. And when the angel of death comes and sees the, the blood on the house, that, the blood from that sacrificial lamb, the angel of death will pass over it. But for every house in Egypt that had not applied the blood of the sacrificial lamb to their home, the firstborn male of every household died. And the tragedy was heard as family after family cried. And finally, Pharaoh lets God's people go. Matter of fact, people are more than happy to have them go. They, matter of fact, they, they give them all sorts of wealthy stuff and just say, please leave, no more death. And as God saves them out of slavery, Pharaoh changes his mind again, chases after them with his army and pins them between the army and the Red Sea. And it looks like it's going to be absolutely terrible. But God saves them from the Egyptian army as well. He, he has Moses strike the water with his staff and he parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground and then the water comes crashing in around the Egyptian army. God's not done yet. He rescues his people out of slavery. He saves them from the Egyptian army. He's not done yet. He stays with them. He leads them with a, a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And that's when this happens in Exodus chapter 16. Reading in Jesus' name, because it's God's word, not mine. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Huh. Aptly named. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Yes. They've only been gone two and a half months. Two and a half months earlier, God rescued them. God saved them. This is what happens. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I am so hungry, I could die. 
Yeah, we should all go back to slavery where they killed our children. That was so much better than going for a walk. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 4, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. That usually sounds like a terrible thing. That sounds an awful lot like wait till your father gets home. That never turned out good for me. And so when, the, when, the, when Aaron says, hey, come on in, everybody gather up, the Lord's heard your grumbling. And I would be like, oh, trouble. What happens? What happens to God's people? What does God do for his people who are grumbling and complaining against him? He feeds them. As soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. He shall take an omer according to the number of the person's that each of you has in its tent. And the people of Israel did so, and they gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over to the morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Here is the reading of God's Word. That is manna. 
Yes, what happens? What does God do for his people when, when they're grumbling and complaining? He feeds them. He literally sends down bread from heaven for them. He, not only that, but everyone has enough bread until they can eat as much as they want. That's a lot of sandwiches. That sounds awesome. That's a lot of bread. Manna translated means what is it because it's so unrecognizable to them. What does God do when his people complain? He feeds them. But he's not done yet. It's not just bread. He sends in quail every evening. Now, I don't know what God did to these quail because I've been quail hunting and it's not easy. They don't just sit there and wait for you to gather them up. And I have a dog and a shotgun. And it's still way hard to hit them. But apparently, whatever God did with these quail, they just come into camp and everybody just gets to gather up all the quail that they need. How many quail do you want? I don't know. Let's just gather them up. This is amazing. These people have been saved by God, rescued from slavery, saved from an enemy army, led through the wilderness for two and a half months. And what do they do? They complain. And what does God do? He feeds them. But before we're too, before we hate on them too much, it's impossible for us not to realize our similarity. Because we complain all the time. I complain all the time. I Literally, just moments ago, I was complaining about the weather. <coughs> I'm thinking about giant days and the, and the parade and the court eating contests that I have no intention of involving myself in. And, you know, and, 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 sell, and selling the, uh, the root beer floats and everything else. And, I, you know, and, and I'm like, ah, you know, people are asking me, hey, how's it going? I'm like, pretty slow. Who wants to, you know, buy a root beer float when it's cold and rainy? But I, and I have no control over the weather, but here comes some sun. I complain about all sorts of things. You complain about all sorts of things. But even more than all of those things, even more than the weather or jobs or the people that we come into contact with, God has saved us by grace, through faith. He sent His Son to be our Savior. He died on a cross to take away all of our sins, not just passing over our sins as, uh, you know, as He did for God's people through the Passover, but He has promised to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, wash us clean from all of our unrighteousness. He has saved us. He is saving us over and over again. As we go to the Lord and confess our sins, He forgives us and forgives us and forgives us. Even the, ones, even the sins that we don't even know to ask for forgiveness of, He forgives. He will save us too. There will come a day when Jesus Christ will come back and He'll take us to be with Him forever. God has saved us. He is saving us. He will save us. We've been saved from so much more than slavery. 
We've been saved from slavery to sin. And yet we still complain. Even after being saved from so much, we still complain when life isn't working out the way it should. It's not supposed to be this way. And so what does God do for us who he has saved? And you, yes, we do complain. He feeds us too. In John chapter 6, um, John records a, a, a time with Jesus as he has just fed an entire multitude, thousands of people with one kid's lunch, and, and, you know, and, then, and then Jesus miraculously walks across the lake in the middle of a storm, you know, and he was walking on water, and he gets to the other side, and the next day, some of the people who had heard about you know, the big you know, like free lunch, they come to him, they're like, how'd you get over here? And he's like, doesn't answer. And... Um, I wonder if Jesus is like, you know, I could tell you, but you won't believe. And, you know, and then they, and then they say, hey, you know, we, some people have said that you're the Messiah. If you want us to believe in us, and you want us to believe in you, then, hey, how about that free lunch thing again? You know, that thing with the bread? Yeah, if you could do that thing with the bread, that'd be awesome. We should do that, like, all the time, like every day. Let's like, like, there's just a free lunch. If you do the free lunch thing for us, we'll believe in you, that you really are the Son of God, the Savior. And Jesus said to them, John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Oh. He says a little bit later, as they continue to argue about bread and manna and, you know, and free lunch and whether or not he's the Messiah. He says in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Ew. What? That's gross. Yes. Jesus is like, ho, oh, free lunch? I got something way better than free lunch. Flesh tacos. No, I'm seriously. He's like, no, all you got to do is eat my flesh. And everybody's like, that's really gross, man. Like you had to go there. I don't think that would taste good no matter how you cook it. That's good. And that's when things get a little crazy. That's when the arguing and the complaining about like eating flesh and bread of life gets really, really gross. And in... Verse 66 of John chapter 6, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Yeah, lots of the people who had been following Jesus were like, Oh, gross. Flesh, blood, eating, not for me. I'm out. And they bailed. 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12 apostles, do you want to go as well? Do you want to leave? you want to leave too? Simon Peter answered them, answered him, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yes, we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And God has rescued us from not just slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin. And even having received this amazing salvation, we still complain because life isn't what we think it should be. But even for believers who have been saved, what does God do when we complain? He feeds us. He gives us himself, that he is the bread of life. He is the ultimate manna that comes down from heaven. And he gives us himself, and he says, and we're going to celebrate communion here in just a moment, and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus gives us himself for forgiveness. My hope, my prayer is that as, as we go through life and as we will complain, I get it, we will. It's going to happen. I would love to tell us, hey, no more complaining. No more complaining about anything. But when we do complain, We remember that Jesus gives himself to feed us for all of eternity. Jesus, for you. Amen?